this week was a crazy week, like I said. But it's a, I want to go back, rewind to just a couple things last week. When we were talking about Ephesians, we're in the middle of this, uh, moving towards the end. We will get through Ephesians by the end of the year, I hope. And, uh, but there's some really interesting things as we're going through, again, remembering that, that God is at work integrating the cosmos, bringing it all together, including us, incorporating us to the baptism of Christ. And now he's going to bring this institution of the church. And as the Spirit of God is interceding for us, as Jesus himself is on the throne, as our high priest is interceding for us, he gives us some instructions how to walk in a manner with him, full of grace, full of mercy, so that we begin to reflect him. And we're in the middle of this process of instruction as we get into uh, Ephesians 4. And last week I talked about the heart. And just by introduction, uh, the two things last week, that those prepositions, that when, when, when the Bible talks about the heart, when the, when the Jewish folks would talk about the inner person, it would even talk about the inward, the inward side, the, the kidneys. They would talk about the kidneys and not necessarily the heart, the romantic place for us in English. But it would talk about the heart as the seat of the emotions. But it wasn't just compartmentalized as the heart and the mind and the soul and the spirit. When, when the, the Hebrews would talk, it would be a composite. It would be whole. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your might. It was all one. But in those prepositions, it said if you heard in the scripture the phrase, he said in his heart, it was talking about the heart, the emotional part, where there's a conversation going within, and speaking in his heart was reflective of that conversation. And you hear every human being having this inward conversation. Every human being is being sought out by the Lord who made him, by the Lord who created them. And therefore, in Adam, in the garden, when, when God said, Adam, where are you? God is saying that to every single human being around the world. That's missions. And we know that God is at work. Before you get to say a word, he's already calling. He's already there. He's already working, trying to draw people to himself. But, but the fool, Psalm 1, 14, 1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says inside. This is the way he thinks. And so Proverbs says, as a man thinks inside, so is he. And so what you think in the heart is different than what God says to the head. And so when the Hebrew changes the preposition, it says when the, you say to your heart or at your heart, you'll hear a lot of the Psalms. David would say, oh my soul, why are you disturbed? Trust in the Lord. And the head addresses the heart. The head being filled with the spirit that God gives to us addresses those panic anxieties, worries that we have when we keep our heart in check. And that, for that reason, I started off with this idea that there's going to be heart transplants. There's something that God does here. He does everywhere when people turn to the Lord and he works on the inside and you may not see that or know that. Well, yesterday, <clears throat> thinking through, uh, Sandy came up and, and uh, I had a story. I thought this fits perfectly. And I'm going to introduce this as a story, uh, you'll see in a moment. 
But I want to tell you in advance, this sermon is not going to end today. This is going to be a, a part of an ongoing two or three week sermon because I want you to, I want you to wrestle with, with me, think with me, uh, think with your head and speak to your heart because there are issues that are going to really radically change us as we align ourselves with what God is doing. And so the next couple of weeks, we're going to be introducing some thoughts. And so I'll be a teacher, theologian, pastor. We're going to get into some things that will kind of, you'll go away going, huh, hmm. And so what I invite you to do is go back to Scripture. Don't believe what I say, but I want you to do that. But go back to the Scriptures and check the Scriptures as those in Thessalonica, it says, in Acts 17, 11, those, those in Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, and they searched the scriptures daily to see what Paul was saying was true or not. So I, I would invite you to come with me on this journey on the next three weeks about how God works in the human heart, how God, what work he does to transplant uh, our heart from the world into the kingdom. Okay, you ready? Yesterday, um, Sandy went to bed. She didn't know this. Uh, so, but I was doing something. Uh, and so you'll see this now. Yesterday, when uh, there was a, I sat down in the chair to read, and the, there was no lamp in that chair. So I, I had a lamp. I pulled it back out, and I changed the bulb, and it didn't work. And it didn't even have a shade. So this is an old lamp. I was looking around. So this is uh, the, my reading chair and my, my lamp, and it was a dead lamp. I thought, well, I checked the wire, and I th checked the bulb, and nothing. So it was dead. And so after I checked it all, I found the, the culprit. And this was the culprit. That little switch, not a big deal, but I thought, okay, I need to replace the switch. So on my way over to Ace Hardware to get a new switch, I, I thought to myself, self, Look at there, there's a garage sale. And as I do, I think sometimes if I put, in my, put myself in positions to meet people, it'd be easy for me to go get the switch and go back home. And I go out of the way to see if there's some way I can meet people if God would do that. So I did, and I stopped off that uh, garage sale and I got into a muddy road. But I picked up for a dollar a lamp that was there, and I destroyed it. Because you know what I was after? I was just after that switch. And so I have all these pieces, and they have no earthly good, so they go into the trash, and I get the piece, and guess what? I put it back in, and voila, it works. So I saved, but, but needed a shape. Well, I happened to be at another garage sale, and I had this, and so I had this, so I made this, I put it all together. So how about that? So I, I repurposed it. Now, here, now here's the question. <laughs> this is crazy. It gets worse. I mean, let me hang on. Do I have a new lamp? Would you call it new? Can I say I have a new lamp? Well, it depends upon the way you think about new. And you think about what happens... And you think about the processes that we go to renew or reform or repurpose or whatever. And therefore, when you think about this in terms of parts, when you take this idea and translate this into the Christian life, what does God do? What does God do 
in the human soul, what is he really, what's he working, what does he replace? What, is, what does he renew? What makes you new? And so I'm thinking back to what Paul said in Ephesians. When we're talking about the gospel, the good news of Christ, we're talking about three things, and we're only going to talk about one of those three today. But we're talking about the three aspects of the gospel, that there's salvation in Christ. And we know that salvation as a fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. The Messiah has come, and he died on the cross, and that death on the cross saves us from our sins, saves us from the judgment and the wrath of our sins, saves us from being separated from God, and therefore we are no longer excluded from the life of God because we're saved. Now somebody said it this way, that salvation is a restored relationship with Christ. It's a restored relationship. But sanctification is an improved relationship. And glorification is perfect relationship. And so we are all in these stages outside of Eden. We come to know the Savior. We come to know the Spirit of the Savior that sanctifies us. And then we come to know the Lord of glory who welcomes us up on resurrection morn and embraces us at death and says, you're mine. This one was born in Zion. This one's name is written in the book of life. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved by Jesus Christ. We know that. And so when you talk about salvation is restored relationship, sanctification is improved relationship, and glorification is face-to-face. He's everything he says he is. He's more than I understood. And therefore, we wake up in glory. A wonderful, wonderful time. But as you go into this one area of sanctification, we're in the process of getting to know Christ. We're in the process of coming to understand, uh, one, all that he did for us, and how much passion he has for us, and three, how the Spirit of God works among those believers as he, as he did in Ephesus. But as we're talking about growing in maturity, binding the strong man, dealing with sin and Satan and the world and the flesh, and then he's also talking about growing in the spirit, growing in maturity. As we're maturing in Christ, it doesn't mean that we're perfected. And here's where it gets a little tricky. Depending on who you talk to and depending on your church background, depending upon how you think in your own heart, independently of what culture you grew up with, the three things that come to play is the fact that when you come to change in the human heart, Paul brings it right together in those verses that Joetta read. And he says, if you want to look where God is at work, you have to look at these three areas. And where the Spirit of God helps us is to replace the parts, the switches, the decision makers, the trusters, parts, but where we put off the old self, and it says we be made new in the spirit of your mind, in the attitude of your mind, and you put on the new self. Now these three, these three points in and of themselves are worth a year's worth of sermon, but we're going to go through and just give you the springboard to keep going on into Ephesians, but I want you to understand, and these are not necessarily themes that you you will clearly understand because there's a lot of mixture 
because as the church in America has kind of uh, got all kinds of interpretations with these. Put off the old self, be made new in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self. And therefore, when Paul went to Ephesus, Paul had come across a group of Christians who had already encountered Priscilla and Aquila who were teaching. And so he says to the Ephesian church, he says, you uh, did not learn Christ this way as though the Gentiles, they live in another form of lifestyle. He says, in Christ, you're going to learn a whole new way. And that's one thing I want to underline here is that we here at Chesterland Baptist, we understand that we are a gospel church. We understand that we are a Bible-believing church. We understand that we are a forgiven people, and we are a, we are a forgiving people. But I want to emphasize, too, that we are a learning people. We are a growing people. We are people that really don't understand a whole lot, but we're journeying together to learn together what this change means as we grow, mature, and are sanctified in Christ. And therefore, Paul says, you were taught. And one of the things that I'm concerned about is what you think about what you were taught. And therefore, as a teaching pastor, I really am in, in, interested in what you understand that is involved in how you see the Christian life. And this is going to come into play. But Paul says, if indeed you receive, if you have heard in him, if you've heard Christ, and in Christ you have been taught, just as truth is in him, that in reference to your former manner of life. Now this is where we're going to go a little bit deeper in this. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And therefore, this is the first part to understand what is Paul saying to these believers in Ephesus and what is God saying to us? And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The NASB says the attitude of your mind. There's something about how you say to your heart that at your heart, not in your heart, but to your heart, but there's something about that attitude, what you think about God, what you believe about God, what you think about growth, what you believe about change, all that comes into play. If you renew the mind, is that enough? If you have an education, is that enough? If you have new information and you have new doctrine, is that enough? Now be careful as Westerners, we believe that if we know the Bible, that that's enough. That our faith is in what we know. Be careful with this, because there's something the way we approach this that I'm going to introduce. That's not the way the New Testament believers believed. And therefore, you get into this word. Um, when you talk about laying aside and sanctification and change to renew there's a special word. So let me show you this. There's a little, I know a little Greek. He cooks pizza down there on... Um, sorry. This is the word... The word... Sorry. Fine. The word is metanoia. Metanoia. You know the two parts, meta and noia. Meta means above and beyond. 
And so when you talk about a meta-language, metadata, meta-theory, meta-economics, you're talking about some grasp of the overall picture. Meta means uh, overall theory. So when you're talking meta, you're, you're flying at the, at the um, bird's eye level as opposed to the worm level. But meta, keep thinking big. And the big idea, the big idea, the metanoia, noia means think. To, so to think in large terms, to think in kingdom terms, to think beyond what you think is going to open your mind to understand that metanoia is to think above and beyond. All that God has done is going to really enlarge your understanding of who he is. And therefore, as you get into this, in the classical Greek, 300 years before Christ was here, the word metanoia simply meant change of one's perspective. You're going on a journey and you're going to learn new things and that learning experience is going to open up new vistas and you won't be the same. Going, Sandy and I went to Japan and we, we were changed. We didn't come back the same. It means if you go to metanoia, you're not the same because something has changed. Metanoia. In the Greek Old Testament, it's used 20 times and the focus when it talks about metanoia in the Old Testament is your thinking. But... As time went on, the New Testament, the book of Acts, talks about metanoia in your thinking. And therefore, Paul says, you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. But the word is translated in the Greek dictionaries as repentance. And the word metanoia and repentance is there's the, there's the rub because it's going to change the way we think. When we talk about the baptism of repentance, it's the baptism of metanoia. It, but John the Baptist would baptize people and they would rethink because the Messiah was here and the Lamb of God was taking away the, the, the sins of the world and the kingdom has been introduced. The kingdom of God, and so the, 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 the kingdom of God is at hand and therefore everything is new. And that's what the early church believed. It was a change of perception, a change of thinking, a change of understanding. Except after the apostles in the third or fourth centuries, they began to change that focus from thinking change and repentance. Pent means to think, pensive. Uh, it, it means to reflect. And therefore to go into that idea of, of rethinking, it shifted from your thinking, it shifted to behaviors. And therefore, the focus on behaviors became the emphasis. And therefore, when you talk about a Christian, you talk about a Christian repenting, not a Christian going through metanoia, changing their thinking. And therefore, this is important. Because it says, if you're going to put off the old self, if you're going to put off, if you're going to really understand what change is inside you, it has to involve this connection with your brain and how you conceive and what you understand happens in the Christian life, not only with your behaviors, but in your heart and in your mind according to the Spirit of God. And therefore, if you know how to put off this old thinking and you put on the new self, the new thinking, then the process of the gospel matures 
each believer. And so I've said before, when the child of God gets into the Word of God, the Spirit of God changes them into the man of God or the woman of God. But that process is a tricky one. So now here comes the big questions for you. Big thinking, metanoia, here's the big questions. And I want to I stimulate you like the Maytag washer. Uh, the word for stimulation is the agitation. It's that swizzle stick in the middle go So you're going to get a little, I hope not agitated, but stimulated to think about what you think about. And here's the question. There are six big questions that I have and you have. And if you can't answer, ask these questions in the church, where can you ask them? And you should feel comfortable if you feel awkward and ignorant because that's the way the Ephesians were. They were ignorant and hard-hearted, but they had to have a place to go learn. And that's why we are a learning community. And here's a question for you. Does the believer have both an old self and a new self? Does a believer have an old self and a new self? Huh. Never thought about that. How many say yes? I see four hands. <laughs> How many say no? One, two, how many say, I don't know? Raise both of your hands. You're in the right spot. You're in the right spot. That's good. How about this one? Can a Christian be born again and act as though he's not? Hmm. How does that, if he's thinking different, but he's acting different, he's really different. What's the old man all about anyway? And that... I'm not talking about your father. I'm not talking about when it talks about the old flesh, the old man. And then, what is the flesh? These are technical words. And so how are we going to put off this old self? How do we deal with the flesh? And what does the Spirit of God do to understand this relationship between flesh and spirit? Now, that's exactly this pivotal point we're at because Ephesians 1 through 4 has talked all about what God has been doing. And now comes our turn to step into the story. So let's look again. That however, that however, as a way of life, Paul says, oh, didn't get it. Oh, I'm stuck again. <laughs> that as a way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him that the truth was in Christ. The truth is not in you. The truth is in Christ. And therefore, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know and how well you know him. That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus is talking about truth, he's talking about troth, where we get the word betrothal. He talks about a wedding. He talks about a relationship. And if I give you my word, I give you my truth, I give you myself. To give yourself is to be involved in a relationship where you come to know who he is. It's a relational word, not a philosophical and not an intellectual. It's a relational word. I am the truth and you are in the truth. The truth is in Christ and I am in you and you are in me. So, to put off the old self... To put off the old self, that one works too? Okay. To put off the old self. When the Bible is talking about putting off the old self, I'm stuck. Um, here we are. When he's talking about putting off the old, the old, 
the word for old is used different ways. And therefore, it's not just age, but it means if something's been used before, or if something's uh, happened long ago in terms of time, it talks about a former manner of behavior, a pattern, a, a destructive, defective pattern. But it talks about an inferior class. So now, was my lamp new or old? Do I have a new lamp or just repurposed? When Jesus said, no one puts, no one puts wine, new wine in old wineskins. You've heard of that one. So he picked that up. Or, and Paul talked about, uh, in their minds they were made dull because they were listening to the law, and that law blinded their hearts. And uh, there was a veil, the veil remains when the old covenant, the old was the former way back, but the new is Christ coming to fulfill the promise, the covenant. And therefore the Messiah would always address the old, the, the old patterns. And so he's talking about putting on the new things. And then Paul says this in Romans 6 about the old. He says, knowing this, that our old self, old self, what is he talking about old self? Was crucified. Now look at the verbs. Was crucified, past tense, in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And so here you realize that the old order, the old usage, the old patterns of sin and lifestyles or former ways of life, God says we're done with. And that's why he says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified. Now, if you are crucified, it means this. You are nailed to a cross. And if you are crucified, you face one direction. If you are crucified, you go nowhere and you die. The flesh, the old self, is gone, crucified, on the cross, with Christ, in his past tense. Hmm. Now wait a minute. That's what happened back then, 2,000 years ago, when Christ died for your sin. It counts for you today. But I go back to my question. Does that mean then, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, do my old self, and I've got a new self, am I schizophrenic? <laughs> do I have two personalities? Uh, what's, I, so if you're not confused by now, I will agitate you, stimulate you some more to be more thoughtful. Because this is very, very powerful. Because if you're talking to someone who's got panic attacks, a woman sitting in her swing set in the yard on a fall day is having a panic attack because her family's falling apart. What do you say to someone who's having a panic attack? Well, don't have a panic attack. Well, that helps. That helps. Uh, don't do drugs, Nancy Reagan would say. So the question is, what do you say to the spirit of a person who's having anxiety attacks? What do you say to somebody who's, who's looking at that bottle again and says, oh my. And what's going on in their spirit? The old flesh and sin that's taken over. You have to ask this question. And so he says, is the believer both an old self or new self? 
And then you think, well, it says you've you got to put off the old self. Put off the old self, you were taught, with regard to your former way of life, your former behaviors. Stop that. Don't drink and chew and run around with those women who do. Wait, wait how does that go? I forgot that. But the idea is, if you put off the bad behavior... Now get this, Christian, because I'm telling you, this is how we think as Christians. Because we were trained to think, we were taught to think, we were conditioned to think, putting off the bad behavior. But if you ask this question again now, this old self, what, what is that old self referring to? Because if you don't know what this is, you won't put it off. You won't understand it. And if you're a young kid, you really won't understand. I'm not that old. And therefore, what does the Bible mean when it talks about the old self? Here's what it means. When Paul mentions the old self, he's talking about the flesh. Another word. But when the Bible talks about the flesh, he's talking about a conflict between the Spirit of God and the flesh. Where the flesh means the unsaved, the unbelieving, the unregenerate, the excluded person, dominated by sin, hard-hearted, fleshly, enslaved, self, uh, self-defined, corrupted, and constantly being corrupt, corrupted, with deceitful desires, futile thinking, callous, insensitive, fully given to the sensual because he's insensitive. They're looking for more sensual stimulus because the flesh is dead and greedy. Nothing will satisfy the flesh. But when it talks about the flesh, it's talking about a person who has been separated from Christ And therefore, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And therefore, I can't blame God because I don't believe in God. Therefore, I'm going to blame you. It's your fault. You owe me. You didn't do this. I'm going to blame my parents. I'm going to blame somebody. But I won't blame me. The flesh is really quick to argue and rebel and hide. And all kinds of things going on with the flesh. Now, when the Bible says you've got to put off the flesh... What's that mean for us as Christians? We hear this. We hear it in terms of the acts, the behaviors, the deeds, the works of the flesh. They are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Galatians goes into a long list of that. And, and, but you hear those words. And here's where we as American Christians get caught up. We think that if I do these deeds, acts, the works the acts of the sinful nature, if I'm acting out, those are behaviors. Now the question is this, if I don't do those behaviors, am I okay? If I don't do the behaviors, am I okay? And therefore, a lot of Christian maturity as taught is talked about in terms of the bad behaviors. A Christian shouldn't do this. A Christian shouldn't do that. And therefore, the list goes on and on depending on what denomination you're in. That which is sinful, shameful, bad, damnable, depraved, morally wrong, wicked, blameworthy, rebellious, but it misses the mind. 
And the thing about American church and Western history, we have shifted away to focus on Christian behavior as opposed to understand about Christian transformation. And this took place in the post-Christian history between 400 and 1,000, 1,200. Whenever it changed from metanoia to repentance, the church began to focus on the bad behavior. Now, up to that point, many people in the Catholic Church were moving through history, focusing on the issue of salvation being Christ has saved us, which he has, but the shift became away from the metanoia to the behaviors, and therefore from the last 1200 to uh, the Reformation, the focus was on not just salvation, but on repentance. And therefore, if Christ saved you and you continued to sin in the flesh, you had to go to confession. You had to show contrition. And therefore, up came the, the, the whole um, institutionalization of, of paying for forgiveness. The penance of you can buy your way into salvation with the sins that after Christ died, the new sins that you did, you, you have to confess. And Luther said, no, 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 no. Calvin said, no, 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 no. You won't be forgiven because you're sorry. You won't be forgiven because you've repented. And that became the focus for the church for for last 500, 600 years. The focus on your behavior, the focus was what's on side, inside you. You've got to change to prove that you're changed. And that's without the Spirit. Now that's really, really important. Because it means this, that in your head, you're going to look at your behavior and assess your spirituality based on how well you are behaving. And therefore, Paul says, no, you misunderstand. Because as Jesus said, what's inside of you, the source of that behavior from within the heart precedes all the evil thought, thoughts, 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 thoughts. And you begin to think, 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 according to the flesh, 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 flesh. As you begin to understand what's going on in the human heart is directly revealed in terms of the actions and the behavior. And therefore, if you don't change the heart, you won't change the behavior. If you work on the behavior, you have a behavior management model. If you work on the behavior alone, you have a morality model. If you work on trying to change the outside and not touch the inside, you will have the guy driving down the road, being pulled over by the police, getting a ticket, paying for the ticket, and being forgiven for that ticket, but continue to speed. You see, what God is after is not just the forgiveness of sins. It's the change of heart of the sinner. And therefore, to change the heart, you've got to think differently. And therefore, to put off the old self requires... A heart transplant. A new thinking in the spirit of our mind. And therefore, let me move towards a, a picture that I don't know where you fit in this, this description. There are four types of Christians. You've heard uh, uh, George Carlin say there, there are three kinds of people in the world. Those who can count and those who can't. Well... There, there are four types of Christians. Where do you fit in this? There is the successful Christian. 
The successful Christian is the one who knows what the Bible says. He's educated and is able to do it. He's good. She's good. She's got some talent. She's got some capacity. She's got some desire. And the successful Christian is the one that's always bubbly, always up front, always got things going well, and because they're successful. They don't seem to have a lot of trouble because they're, they're sailing right on through. And if you are a successful Christian, you become like the Pharisees who are able to do all the religious rituals and perform perfectly so everybody thinks you're a good Christian. That's a successful Christian. And there are people, bless their hearts, they, they, uh, they haven't gone through life and suffered with the sin and haven't been destroyed by pain and haven't got through the hard knocks of life and they just have had it made. There are people who've got made it easy. They've got good education. They've got good families. They've got good, good uh, houses and cars and 401ks. And they're just kind of sailing right on through. And a lot of those people live in Chesterland. And they don't think they need God. The fool in the heart says, I don't think I need God. The successful person doesn't feel like God's important. The non-Christian because he's done it on his own. But the successful Christian says, I know how this thing works, and I'm doing pretty well. I had a guy say to me, I've been reading my Bible. I've been reading my Bible for the last five years, every day, and I haven't missed a single day. No breakfast, no Bible. And this guy was so disciplined, he had to be a J. He was so good to... to to do these things, but he had a strong internal discipline. He was a success. He was a success no matter what he did. You meet people like that that bring that into the Christian church. They look good. They don't seem to have any problems, and they get through. The other is the opposite. Oh man, I'm not doing so well. A prayer prayer life. I I, I pray. I prayed. When was the last time I prayed? And so uh, the the the. Um, I lost this again, maybe. The, the, the failing Christian, there he is. The failing Christian can't do it. I've tried to be a Christian. I've tried to go to church. I, I don't have the discipline it takes. And therefore, to go, to go, into, that, to go into that Christian life, I, I just feel like there's so much pressure on me, I can't pull it off. And therefore, as I, as I struggle with this, uh, I don't have the faith. And my faith is like a, a weeping willow in a 90 mile an hour wind. It just, I don't, I don't do well. And you know people like that. I've tried to church. I tried Jesus. I, I don't get it. I don't, something's wrong with me. I don't have enough. I don't know what it is. I just, I'm tired. I can't pull it off. And therefore, you hear some churches say, come join our church and you too can feel the pressure. You too can fail. And they do fail. And this guy in particular will, will walk away, not as a witness to the glory of Christ, but be the witness to the shame of his failure. And people walk in that depression. And therefore, the third Christian is the struggling Christian. This struggling Christian is really committed to Christ, but really wants to change to happen in his life but he tries and he tries and he tries and he struggles and he struggles and he struggles and he doesn't seem to make much progress because he's trying to change the flesh. But the Bible doesn't say to change the flesh. 
But a lot of Christians who are struggling are focused on trying to adapt that old person, transform the old person, take that old lamp and make a new lamp out of old parts and look like a new Christian. But the old flesh won't go away. And therefore, this person is caught in a tension of constant struggle. Now, of those three, I don't know what you feel you fit in. Like you haven't done enough, you haven't, you beat yourself up, or you got it all together. The fruit of the, the fruit of the successful Christian is pride. I got it together. Here, let me tell you how you can get it together. And therefore, this struggling Christian will go to the successful Christian. How do you keep your marriage together? Let me give you the three points you need to do. How do I speak in tongues? Let me tell you the three things you need to say to speak in tongues. How do, how do I lead songs? Let me give you the six steps to be a worship leader. Let me tell you how to, how to be a successful Christian, this guy. And the struggling Christian will get to the around other Christians and say, I, 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 yeah, okay, give me the next conference. Give me the next book. Give me the next CD. Give me something because I'm failing and I'm struggling. And I don't know how this works. Put off the old flesh. It doesn't go away. I work with prisoners, I work with teenagers, and I go in, and they're really confused. How does change really work? Because the flesh is weak. And here's the good news. When Jesus said, watch and pray, for the flesh is willing, uh, but the flesh, is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh cannot change itself. Will never change itself. And the good news is, God doesn't want to change it. What? What? I thought it was all about your behavior and being good. Mm -mm. I mentioned there were four types. This is the fourth type. There are those who have the metanoia experience, where they begin to look at God the way Jesus looks at God. And when they see Christ admiring, enjoying the Father... They understand that God himself has done for them what they couldn't do for them. And therefore, what God formed in us, then Christ then comes to uh, take care of that which has deformed us. And therefore, the Spirit of God comes in to transform us. But the Spirit-directed life, and that's the fourth one, uh, that when the Spirit comes in, he will unlock the heart. It's the Spirit of Christ that sets you free from all that you thought before. And He makes a new creation. Did you know that Jesus is the creator of the world? Genesis 1, in the beginning, Jesus Christ, God and the Holy Spirit, all of them together were creating. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. Not the old changed but the old crucified let go. But this new person in Christ is no longer focused on adapting, changing, shaping up the old man. He's letting that go. And his thinking is saying, it's about Christ and his relationship with the Father. And we are included. We get to enjoy the same relationship as Jesus had with the Father. You are invited to walk with him just as Jesus walked with the Father. Wonderful news. Wonderful news. And therefore, this Spirit-directed life, this Spirit-directed life puts a focus on 
on the fact that our old selves were done away with and crucified. And therefore, as we move, as we move, it's very clear that since we have taken off past tense, take off like clothes, you don't wear two sets of clothes. You get rid of one and you put on the other. And that's what it means to put on Christ. Next week, I'm going to go into this thing a little bit further. But just to know right now, for us, we know that the old self was crucified with Christ. And that's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but I have been connected, involved, baptized, joined with Christ. And therefore, the life that I now live in the flesh, this part, I live by faith in the Son of God. And now it's a joint communion, a friendship. The good news is that Paul says this happened. It happened. And therefore, next week, when we go into this, I want you to struggle with and learn with me to become a growing, mature, metanoia Christian. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, these seeds are yours. I didn't come up with this, and we didn't either. As you reveal this word, Father, make the glory of Christ and the power of the Spirit to to live a new life in Christ, the new self. We want to know these things. So help us do this in Jesus' name. Amen.